Wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome and thanks for listening. Bleeding Daylight is on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Find links at bleedingdaylight.net. Please rate and review Bleeding Daylight wherever you listen to podcasts and share this and other episodes with others. Today's guest is passionate about seeing the next generation develop a depth in faith that has been missing in our communities for too long. Robin T. Jennings is a gifted storyteller, professional speaker, knowledgeable teacher and author. He believes that while we all seek personal growth, our souls are yearning for spiritual renewal, whether we know it or not. His most recent book is titled A Letter to the Church and the Next Generation, Spiritual Growth Through the Witness of James. He joins me on Bleeding Daylight today. Robin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Rodney. Before we dive into your latest book and some of the issues that drove you to write it, let's get to know you. If you were to meet someone at a party and they asked you to tell them a little about you, what would you say? I might excuse myself (laughs) and collect my thoughts, (laughs) get something to eat and then come back. But it's a long story, is anyone's story probably, with zigs and zags and ups and downs, but at the same time, a faith that has continued throughout my life and one that really is my rock and provides the stability and and the ability to walk and talk and go to a party. <laughs> so you grew up in a in a family of faith, but when did that become real for you? Again, the reality of faith has been with me I think ever since I was a child and you know, with a lost puppy dog that gets found and <laughs> ice cream that gets recovered, Easter eggs that get found, those kinds of things. But this, the strength of the faith has always been a part, a necessary part of my life. The practice of faith, I think, again, is where when you introduced me as a, a man of renewal and talking about renewal, it's, it's ongoing, a development of faith that In one sense, I don't know if you know Thomas Merton, but he once shocked me by saying that we're all beginners when it comes to prayer. And I thought, what? (laughs) How can he say that? A monk. But I get it now. With every morning, you wake up and you start anew. You start afresh. And it's good morning, God. Back to your question about my faith. It's ongoing. It continues to develop. I would like to think I'm continually growing, but with growth comes change. So I can talk more and more about this and be more specific for you as far as my life. But in broad sweeping terms, it's a real dynamic that I really want to encourage others to enter into. It's interesting that you're talking there about uh, a growing faith and a changing faith and that we're all beginners in prayer because what my listeners can probably not tell by your voice, is that you're a retired man. So you've been at this thing called faith for many, many years. You spent years as actually a a priest or or a church minister, and now you're retired. And yet, as we know, in Christian circles, not a lot of us get that opportunity to to retire fully. (laughs) So you're still involved and, and still writing. To hear someone like you say 
that we're all just beginners, that we continue to learn, I, I guess can go either way. Some people might think, oh, does that mean I'm never going to get there? But for others thinking, oh, wow, I get to keep growing, that I don't have to try and attain a special level and feel like I'm never going to get there. Right. Well, and as, as you just mentioned too, the, the goal <laughs> and the destiny and the desire that we all have to meet God face to face. I mean, that again is so strong within, I think, all of us, but recognizing God's presence, being aware of God's movements in our life, that's a matter of the spirit. And when we talk spiritual growth, it's it's the Holy Spirit. And there again, the Holy Spirit is active <laughs> and alive. And that's what I think charges us. And I almost say this in a, an electrical way, to keep the journey going in a way that is faithful. And you began at seminary way back in sure. your mid-20s, I believe. Yes. Did you ever imagine what life might pan out to be like all these years later, back in those early days when you first signed on the line and said, yes, I'm going to seminary? Well, yes <laughs> and no. You know God, <laughs> enough about God, that if you wonder if God has a sense of humor, you've heard this before, tell him, tell him your plans. <laughs> So in seminary, I had these great plans, uh, Rodney, and, and in all seriousness, I did not know, even in seminary, where God was leading, where life was going to take me. This is what the journey, I think, or the pilgrimage of faith is about, is it is, a, and not as you've heard before, the cliche, it's, it's not the destination, it's the journey. And there in seminary, I think I was really strengthened, reinforced by a community of faith. When I went to seminary, I, I was, like you say, I was young. I was expecting Peter and Paul to, to greet me at the gates, welcome me in. I had arrived. <laughs> All was well. I had just, just recently been married, got married in uh, July. Went to, we both went to seminary in August, and people were looking at us at these cute little newlyweds. <laughs> what, what are they doing here? But it was for us, again, our marriage was built around the church, and it really became for us a source, as I said earlier, of stability, but also, again, a place of not refuge, but of welcome. I mean, the church was always open in ways that meeting other people, other parishioners, other seminarians, other teachers, we learned. And when I say we, it's both my wife and I were on this on this journey together. As you're on this journey and you say that your life was built around the church, in those early days, do you feel that it was weighted more in being built around the church or being built around Jesus? Was there a point at which you realized that I'm learning about God, I'm learning about Jesus, I'm learning about the Holy Spirit, but I need to encounter God? Yes, home run, <laughs> we would say here, Rodney, <laughs> in the States, but you, you just hit, you just push the button. In fact, the, in the introduction of my latest book, the, the book you referred to of James, it really began at my first assignment at a large Gothic cathedral in Memphis, where I was kneeling at the altar. And it wasn't like I was struck by lightning or something at that point, but I really 
was so aware of an inscription on the altar that was in marble that said, Alleluia, Hosanna, which means praise the Lord. And that was in Latin, and I had to decipher it and figure it out and talk to people what that was all about. It came from a quote. It actually was the last words of Mother Constance, who was the mother superior of an Anglican order that came to Memphis in the 1870s. And if you're still with me, (laughs) it was during the pandemic of the yellow fever. Well, fast forward to COVID and what we've all been through. It's a tough, tough time. And this Mother Constance and her order went around the neighborhood caring for the widows and the orphans and helping provide burials for the dead and so on and so forth. She finally was infected with the yellow fever and died. And her last words were, Alleluia, Hosanna. In that context, I thought, my God, the generations are in some ways similar. We all go through tough times. We all kick the dark. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's your story. It's my story. Mother Constance, and here I am at, at kneeling. And, and what it did was provide me with this inspiration of doing the word, which brings me back to James. <laughs> Not necessarily just activism, but this idealism that James provides as he's talking to his generation and mentoring his generation. This, again, is what inspired me. Of course, James is a very practical book. There's a lot of practical wisdom in there as James is telling people, basically, these are some of the things that you need to keep in mind as you live. And and you're right, he is teaching. And you mentioned that word, a mentor. Tell me about this concept of of mentorship, because it, apart from business, it seems to have been lost to the church, this idea of being a, a mentor or, or a mentee. It really has been lost, I think. And what I'm really trying to encourage with pastors, ministers, leaders, people who are, have a living faith, <laughs> who walk and talk, grandmothers, grandfathers, aunts, uncles, you know, you, know, you name it, as well as the parents, to share their faith with their children, but also within the context of the church community. Men come in and they, and not to be sound sexist, but they're assigned ushers or they pass the offering plate or, you know, that's their one job that they have for the next 50 years. We can do better, Rodney, as far as finding the not just the men but the the adults who do carry this wisdom and wisdom we can talk about a great deal as well but so much of it is built on experience and it's not just the number of years that you've lived but the experiences that you've had where god has entered into your life in a way that has been life-changing and to be able to share this with the next generation that's where a mentor comes in to walk alongside these young people who And I'm not, well, I will generalize, but I'm not condemning as much as they've got more information, you know, in the palm of their hand (laughs) than any other generation. We could send a rocket to the moon or whatever, and that filled up a whole room of uh, computers, but theirs is in their hand. And we went to libraries, they go to their hand, you know, but this information doesn't necessarily become formation. This is where I think a mentor helps with the formation, particularly the spiritual formation of these young people. Because here again, what wisdom requires and what James calls for is a sense of maturity. 
Now, you were a minister within the Episcopal Church, or I guess as some people in other parts of the world would would understand it, um, Anglicanism, and yet the sorts of things that you're talking about seem to be universal across the church where there there is this lack of, of passing down of knowledge. Do you see this idea of mentorship as being similar to or, or the same as what we see in the scriptures as discipleship? Yes, and I think here too, that's a term that Anglicans are not necessarily familiar with. For me, that is, I'm very, very understanding of that and am aware of the need for that. This idea of being a mentor is more a desire to equip and form the young adult in 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 a specific term it's discipleship can be more general and and this is where I'm going with mentoring is the transition phase that many of these young adults particularly here that transition from late adolescence into young adulthood what used to be late teenage years or now maybe early 20s <laughs> what does it mean to be an adult and what does it mean to be responsible and it's again not necessarily a character formation I would call it spiritual formation, but the desire to respond to where God is calling you and not the latest celebrity or fashion (laughs) or commercial that you see on your phone. And I suppose in using that term mentor or mentorship, it does carry with it that that one-to-one kind of relationship, whereas words tend to lose meaning over years. and, And I think we have made the word discipleship sound more like go to church on a Sunday, go to a home group during the week, maybe a prayer meeting occasionally, and and we now say, well, that's the discipleship process. And yet when we see it in Scripture, there's more this walking alongside. We, we see Jesus with his disciples, yes, and they're living together. They're, they're sharing everything together. And I suppose that's more of what you're you're leaning towards, but having an older person to be able to say, you know what, you're going to strike tough times in your life. This is when I have, and yes. this is how the Lord has ministered to me in that time. And you, you don't often get that just direct from the pulpit, do you? No, you do not. And you do not necessarily get that in, in worship or in a church. It really does require a one-on-one cup of coffee kind of or luncheon or opportunity to just meet like we are face-to-face in a way that allows the, the, the level of trust, but also faith to come in. Trust and faith go together, as you well know. And I think for me, again, Rodney, I had so many good mentors in seminary, as well as then when I got out of the seminary and graduated and went into the church in an early age, I was lost. And I'm not going to say I was found, but but I had people who pointed me, directed me, guided me, led me in directions that I'll forever be grateful. One aspect of it, just as a quick example, is back in the seminary days, you asked about my early days, and I can still remember the emphasis on being called. Everyone had to be called. And I expected the phone to ring. You know, I didn't know what (laughs) what they were talking about, but it wasn't until probably five years, six, seven years into the ministry that I understood the calling really is Jesus saying, hey, follow me. Hello? (laughs) Follow me. 
It was almost that simple, but that profound. And it's it's a call then that I've responded to the rest of my life. Follow me. But boy, oh boy, following Jesus is not just, as you know, a picnic. It can take you to the cross. You mentioned this whole idea of it becoming a whole lot more simplified when you realized it's just Jesus saying, follow me. And as you've mentioned, it doesn't mean that that's going to be a picnic. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, No, but it's a lot simpler than we sometimes make it. Do you think we sometimes complicate things too much and we should be just coming back to that, follow me? Yes, because Jesus is my Lord. So with that said, tell me, Lord, (laughs) about life. And then you go to the Sermon on the Mount. You know, it, it's a way of again following his instruction, his guidance, his leadership. Oh, pick up my cross and follow me. What? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I've got to get a car. I got to pay for you know kids' schooling. I've got yeah, pick up the cross. What are you talking? It's a sense of denial, understanding of humility, and a desire not to just put yourself first, which you probably well know is uh, so many clergy fall into that trap of being on the platform, being out front, being the face, being (laughs) the one, the go-to person. And then they thrive on that and and the codependency kinds of issues that you get into. I could go on and on and on of the, the dangers of being not only popular, but successful and being in a leadership role, the dangers that are there. But Jesus, again, comes back time and time again and says, hello, (laughs) follow me. You've been a successful clergyman. You've written books. You've written commentaries. How do you overcome that natural human desire to build yourself up? You've talked about the dangers of that. How do you overcome that? In, In hearing Jesus' simple call, what is it about that that keeps you grounded and keeps you following him and and keeps you seeking that all-the-time kind of spiritual renewal? Well, again, prayer is such a big part of that because it is a reminder that, let me put it this way, it's not easy, but it's tempting to keep God at a distance, compartmentalize God. I've got to work on a sermon for Sunday, and today's Monday, so I get to take the day off. (laughs) <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> or, you know, Thursday is a day I'm going to be on a podcast with with Rodney. So let's not worry about God at this point. Let's just talk about Robin and his life. You know, no, it's it's God is running through. The, the spirit is running through. Jesus is providing me not only with, and I don't want to get too carried away, but with the words to say and with the, the life to live, so that it is a sense of, again, following rather than stepping out on my own. It's the difference between a self-centered life and a life that's centered in Christ, if you catch that dynamic. That's been really important to me. And I know that you've got a real heartache for the next generation, which is in the title of, of that book. Yes. You're calling out for those young people. You're wanting them to find mentors. And I know that as part of writing that book, it wasn't just pulling everything out of James, but it's actually applying that to what's happening today. And and you've looked at some of the research that must be very troubling about our young people today and a sense of faith. Yes, it is. And 
that can be an obstacle or a barrier or a media headline <laughs> that uh, sort of closes the church doors along with COVID. I mean, these are tough times to be a, a minister. And I'm not going to say it's easier being retired and sitting on the sidelines because I'm not. I'm engaged. I'm involved in doing many things uh, within the church. But at the same time, my goodness, I, I couldn't imagine these past couple of years without seeing people face to face. But to respond to your question about these young people, one of the areas that Barna Research identifies, as well as, of course, other Gallup poll, Pew Research, all the people that are doing the kinds of evaluation of where this generation is, plus the media, will talk about the nuns you know, not the, the 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 divine nuns of order of a sacred order, but the ones who circle none of the above. When it comes to the questionnaire of are you a, a Christian or Muslim or Islam or Buddhist or Hindu, you know, no, none of the above. Okay, <laughs> what are you? And that's where I think the discussion really gets exciting and begins, because they're not there. But if you know. Anything say about, oh, recovery from addiction. First step, there's a power greater than yourself, guys. You know, you want to talk about this power that, that's greater than you. And, and that, that's where I get concerned about this next generation is when they circle none, then they put themselves as the greater power. And not to get political here, Rodney, or to take go off track, but you push my button, <laughs> why I'm so passionate about this. So you started the conversation, but but here's my, you look at communism and look at what's going on now in Ukraine and the devastation that's been caused by a understanding of life that does not put God first and has, and has circled none of the above. You know, when it comes to what you believe in, except myself and the power that I have in terms of communism. And, and this is where something like Putin just drives me crazy. So that's my political speech for the day. But I hope you <laughs> take that in the spirit that it's, it's meant, that you really live a life out of control when you get yourself caught up in that situation. We opened our discussion talking about that difference between spiritual renewal that the soul is yearning for, whether we know it or not, and personal growth. And it seems that the whole world is seeking personal growth. We're after these yes. self-help books where yes. there seems to be this proliferation of life coaches that have taken the place of spiritual mentors. Yes. And yet we still find ourselves coming up empty time and time again. How do we start to turn people back towards realizing that they are trying to fix a spiritual problem by coaching their way out of it, by some sort of personal growth. That's never yeah. going to fulfill that deep yearning. How do we start to broach that with young people? Well, as I said earlier, it's almost a one-on-one -on -one or a, an opportunity just to get the conversation started. And by the way, the word conversion comes out of conversation. <laughs> so be careful when people say they just want to have a conversation with you. They want to convert you. <laughs> but And I do too. And so here again, I want to be on, authentic is a word that the young people like. They also love that word transparent. I don't think they really want to see into me all the way. But <laughs> there's, uh, again, you in, in all seriousness, 
the spiritual growth model is different from life coaching from the standpoint of life coaching really back to self-centered tries to build the self-esteem, tries to build the self-worth, tries to build the self-affirmation, you know, all those kinds of things around the self, the self, the self. The idea of spiritual formation is, again, Christ-centered, God-centered, spirit-centered around that life that is what we would call, Jesus calls abundant. It's a life with God. It's not just a life with yourself. <laughs> that life with yourself gets smaller and smaller, especially, Rodney, when you retire and you get old like me. <laughs> it's, you know, the circle gets smaller and smaller. So here again, this life with God is something that is eternal. It's everlasting. It's, I just don't get me started because this is when I start preaching. But I hope you hear <laughs> the distinction. Also, the idea of growth is lovely. Everyone wants to grow. But you know, and I know, with growth comes change. Hello? So you mm -hmm. ask these people, do you really want to change? No, I want to grow. <laughs> and this is where the rubber hits the road. Is And that's what I call transformation. Transformation is a life of change, a life of renewal, which is different than just a life coach. And we talk about this idea of, of the mentor and, and you did touch on the, the idea a, a little while ago about people who have believed that they have one task in church, whether it's to, to be the usher or to whatever it might be, yeah. and really that's their service to make sure that a, a Sunday meeting, a, a Sunday service goes well, yeah. uh, and yet God has other things planned for them. Do you think that maybe on the other end of the scale, because we're talking about the young people, that older people in our churches are going to discover spiritual renewal when they realize that they have something spiritual to hand down to young people? Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Do you want a, a more of an answer? But you, you got oh, look, it. I'm happy for you to give me more of an answer. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this whole dynamic of if we've grown up in churches where this has not been the norm for either right. older people being mentors or younger people being mentored, how do we start this conversation? How do we actually have these older people reaching out to the young people and saying, hey, let's catch up for a coffee? Or younger people saying, I need something different than just what the world is screaming at me. How do sure. they find someone that is going to be a good mentor for them? It takes time. That's one of the understandings that goes with a movement. You know, it's not overnight. And uh, well, whether I'll see this movement taking place in my life, I don't know. But to get it started, to plant the seeds, to get the growth, as well as the change and the dynamic of this understanding does take time. And it, if you talk about one person at a time, that takes time. So with that said, many churches have little patience for things that take time. They're good for one and done, you know, one Sunday and let's go on with the next, you know, what did you say last week? I don't care. What are you saying this week? And here again, I would call churches to look at their strengths first. And by that, I mean, look at your demographics. What do you have in your church? And for a lot of Anglican and Episcopal churches, we've got a lot of old people. Well, <laughs> let's call that our strength instead of just waiting for everybody to die. I think we can do better than that, don't you? So with that said, you start with what you have right before your eyes, and then you just raise the question of, 
um, where are the young people? <laughs> where are your kids? Where are your grandkids? Where's your Sunday school? Do you have a youth program? You, know, you begin just to start to develop this conversation once again of your parish in a, in a scope that provides the leadership to engage this older generation to start looking at the school that's right down the block where the bus is dropping off hundreds of kids every day and your church is closing the doors to them. You know, let's see about opening it up and, and getting some uh, music programs for young people. You know, I could go on with all ways of beginning to, and, and it's not just brainwashing or trying, because schools do that, you know, but it's, it's a way of allowing these young people to examine their vocation, and, and that's where I'm going with this transition between adolescence to young adulthood is the idea of a vocation is literally a calling. Vocare in Latin means to call. And a vocation doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a minister or you're going to go to seminary or you're going to be some kind of a, a church communicator, but to look at where you might fit in business, where you might fit in education in the academic system. They need religious people in the academic world. Did you know that? <laughs> so so it, it's, it's, again, a way of the harvest is rich. I, I can't say this enough, Rodney. The harvest is rich. But this is where, to your point and your question, the laborers really are few, and particularly with mentors. And that's where we've got to begin with what, what ones we have. As you start to draw these themes out, why in particular did you go to the book of James? What's in there that speaks to the current and, and the upcoming generation? Well, as I said earlier, was that kneeling at the uh, altar and seeing that inscription and catching hold of the spirit of helping and serving and a mission to the community that this Anglican order did in a way that during the yellow fever epidemic parallels so closely to what was going on with COVID. But then also James, <laughs> and I hesitate to say it like this, you said it's very practical. I also see it as like a hand grenade that goes down the <laughs> center of the aisle of a church. I mean, if you really, really get into reading James, you go, whoa, did he say that? <laughs> Let's talk about gossip or the tongue. Uh, you know, James, I mean, the, the guy is a riot. I mean, it's a wonderful little read. It's what, six chapters. Again, people will talk about James as being that he's not Christological, that it's not about Christ or centered on Christ. Oh, my gosh, he's got more references to Christ than anyone else. You know, I mean, in terms of his writing with, again, the Sermon on the Mount, the quotes that he's using. Long story short, I'm a Bible teacher as well, obviously being in the ministry in the, in the church, and I had a large Bible class. One semester we studied James, and I thought, okay, let's study James. And I did a nice class on James, I thought, and I was preparing to put my notes up. And <laughs> But actually during the class, it grew, and people were really into it. And it wasn't into me. Again, <laughs> Rodney, they were into James. It was so beautiful. In his development, in terms of his spiritual growth, oh, it just set me on fire. There's a passion there that obviously comes through in the book itself, but that's the sort of thing 
that is going to bring spiritual renewal if if there is a, a passion more than just head learning but something that touches the heart and this is obviously something that has grasped your heart yes very much so and it, it's almost trite to say he's the real deal but again the the authenticity of james just comes off every verse <laughs> of every page and i don't know if you're familiar with the lecto divina uh, the living world. Yes. Well, yes. well, there again, that, that was a part of my practice and has been along with journal writing. And I think that's what prompted a lot of my writing lately. But what I did primarily through the book was I, I just took the first chapter of James as a framework for the table of contents. And I used a word, <laughs> one word to kind of set up each chapter because each word is so powerful. I mean, if you want to talk about the word endurance, here we go. <laughs> and that's such a wonderful word. And to read it into church history and into the life of the Spirit and into my life and yours, uh, the places of endurance. For those who have had the opportunity to read the book so far, what's the feedback been from those who have read through it and, and are ready to put it into practice? I've actually had several churches that are beginning to use this with small groups Again, from the standpoint of at the back of each chapter, <laughs> and I hesitate to tell you this story, but my wife, my sweet wife, loves to read my books. But this one, it she hadn't time to get. She had about 10 other books she was going to. At the back of each chapter, there's a chapter summary and bullets. And she tore out each chapter, <laughs> stapled them together, and she had the bullets <laughs> and was going through those. And now we're talking about the book. Um but that was helpful to her, quite seriously, is it gave her the opportunity to jump right into the book and see what I'm getting at and then start talking. I think it's a book that is going to have a great impact as people take it on. I know that you're saying that you're not sure if this is actually going to, to catch on in your generation or, or the next, but I think it sounds like People are already grasping hold of it, and hopefully people will take it on board. The book that we're talking about is A Letter to the Church and the Next Generation, Spiritual Growth Through the Witness of James, written by my guest, Robin T. Jennings. If people want to get hold of the book, what's the easiest place for them to go? It's certainly Amazon. <laughs> it's there. My website is Robin T., as in Tom, robintjennings.com. And then also for your listeners, I, there is a landing page that if they'll go to robintjennings.com slash guided reflection uh, slash, I've got um, a 40-day journal that they can download that has to do with really the, my books, which have to do with the theme of vision, renewal, bearing witness, and then a mentor. <laughs> so it's it's tied together all my books in a 40-day journal, if that would be of interest to them to use again. So for their growth, their spiritual reflection as they begin to think further about this life in Christ. And as you've said, we're never too old to be learning more. We're always beginners in this faith journey until we see God face to face. Yeah. I will put links to your website and also to that guided reading in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net. I'm sure that many people will take advantage of that. Robin, it's, it's been a delight to talk to you, to hear your passion, and I'm sure that many people will jump on board and, and connect with you. So thank you so much for your time. 
Thank you, Rodney. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.